Hello everybody and welcome to Mind Clickers. I'm a sport and exercise scientist from Melbourne, Australia, with a passion for esports performance, coaching, and overall mental well-being. I've been in esports for quite my life, previously competing in COD4 Pro Mod and coaching StarCraft 2, whilst avidly loving CSGO and all FPSs. I created Mind Clickers to provide an insight into the psychological and performance demands of elite level gaming. This includes getting an insight from coaches, players, staff, org founders, and esports researchers about their respective domains. In the following episode, I talk with Jared Kig Krenzel, who is the leading forefront in the OCE StarCraft 2 scene. Jared previously has competed in the 2016 WCS, where he took first place, alongside competing in a handful of online tournaments. Jared has had his fair share of experience in StarCraft 2, living in a team house overseas and shoutcasting professionally for some of the biggest majors in the world. He also loves streaming on Twitch and making StarCraft 2 videos for his over 40,000 subscribers on YouTube. This episode is enormous, as Jared shares his previous experiences as a player, but then we take it quite deep as we reflect further on the mindset in StarCraft 2 and professional competitive gaming. This includes having the resilience to overcome any opportunities, dealing with anxiety and brute forcing a positive mental attitude so we can cope with anything. This was an absolute pleasure to record and I hope that you take at least a few tips out so you can improve your game. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome back to season two, episode four of Mind Clickers, where it's time to click both heads in 2021. I'm joined today by a very special guest, uh, Jared Ping Krenzel, who is currently a full-time Twitch streamer, StarCraft commentator and ex-StarCraft 2 professional. How are you going today, mate? Awesome, man. It's a nice sunny uh, Wednesday afternoon here. So uh, always a good time to talk about esports. Yes. Are you located up in Perth? No, no, I'm in Sydney. But um, yeah, yeah, just uh, been here, been here pretty much my whole life besides little little forays here and there. So uh, yeah, it's kind of good. We just had a bit of a, a cold patch, but it's nice and warm here. I actually just moved back to my um, out of Lidcombe. So I just moved away from the old uh, fiber to the node, Kevin Rudd internet. I gave it up after many years, the uh, the, the kind of esports and streaming neighborhood of Sydney, because it's one of the few places you can get that that proper um, fiber to the premises, I should say, not fiber to the node. But uh, I've gone back to the old internet. I'm enjoying the uh, the spikes, the, uh, the very, you know, you know, high traffic in the afternoons and evenings and everyone's watching Netflix, having my internet kind of just spike a little bit here or there makes for some um, extra training weights uh, when I'm practicing and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's not too bad. But uh, I mean, a lot of people say, why not move overseas? But Australia is great, man. It's such a good country. So um, loving it. Yeah, for sure. I definitely know that, you know, in terms of internet quality, um, previously we haven't had the best experiences, but uh, at least you're not on dial-up and, uh, yeah, at least we've moved past those kind of uh, pre-existing internet stages as well. Step by step, yeah. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's never go back to that. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, awesome to have you on, mate. Um, I'm glad we finally figured out a schedule uh, that both worked for us and uh, finally we can come together and make this episode uh, an awesome piece, hopefully. Hells yeah, looking forward to it, mate. I um had a little little sheaf through a few of your other episodes, listened to a snippet here or there. So uh some interesting discussions and hopefully my uh contribution here won't be the most boring episode. Fingers crossed. I'll I'll try to uh hopefully hopefully we can have some good discussions. I'm sure we will. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Um yeah, let's go ahead and kick it off, I guess. Um so let's just talk about a little bit about uh, your background, your history, um, you know, when you went from casual to competitive and uh, how you started in StarCraft 2 as well. 
Yeah, well, I definitely kind of grew up gaming and went through the whole internet cafe craze in the early 2000s. Um, I grew up playing RTS games forever, Warcraft, Command & Conquer and all that, but never really got involved in the competitive side. Uh, I first played a competitive ladder, just like when matchmaking was out in Warcraft 3, but was... Uh, I guess to a casual person, maybe it would have seemed like someone who was pretty into it. But uh, once you're, you know, legitimately competitive at something, you know, I look back and go, oh, I, I really didn't play any tournaments at all. Didn't really compete very high on the ladder, but uh, kind of got, I think, a little hooked on that just really nice competitive strategy game element. Mm. And years later, it was it was 2010 when StarCraft 2 came out. And uh, yeah, I kind of just got on the ladder and went oh my god i forgot what this feels like the uh the excitement of of managing a thousand different things at once in a in an rts game is unlike anything else and i i kind of had forgotten the the joy and the i think unlimited learning simulation that is uh kind of p- putting yourself up against other opponents on the ladder constantly being matched against harder and harder players and kind of just having this uh this big huge deep strategy game to delve into where you can you can kind of improve the physical speed element of things how you execute things quickly but you can mm. also just put endless time into understanding the the theory and the strategy and and how to counter different things and mind games and you know like limited information there's poker elements to it so for me it was just this uh addictive learning process i guess is is one way i could put it yeah, for sure. And I can definitely relate to that because I started back uh, Command & Conquer Generals um, and then I briefly moved to Age of Empires and then I started uh, in StarCraft 2 Wings of Liberty. So uh, having a little bit of previous in RTS, but um, I think StarCraft is where I really start to found that niche um, just because it really starts to ramp it up, as you said, in terms of strategy. There's so many things you have to try and micromanage and organize mentally as well. If you were to describe StarCraft 2 to some people, just because we don't have some, we have some of those guys listening who have probably never heard of StarCraft 2 before, um, who have never even played an RTS before. How would you describe StarCraft 2 to someone who really isn't unf- is unfamiliar with the genre? Uh, there's a few different analogies. Uh, some people like to say it's chess on speed, uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I don't think that truly does it justice, though. Um, imagine kind of like almost like a top-down view of like a map, but in real time, you're controlling your armies, but you're also controlling your economy. So you're you're kind of harvesting resources and building different factories and things to produce certain unit types, and you're upgrading them in different ways. So you're managing a lot of uh, different aspects of a game. And this is something which isn't unfamiliar to anyone who's played maybe a more complicated board game or, you know, Mm. you've played some different turn-based strategy games like a Civilization or something. But it's the real-time aspect that makes it ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) It makes it ridiculously competitive because there's just so many things you can do. When you're managing that many different areas at once uh you're you're kind of in this battle to focus on the right things at the right time and it's a constant reprioritizing so what makes Mm. it so deep is that you've got okay cool like you know maybe this sort of army beats that sort of army but you've got to always kind of uh look at any sort of rule you make for yourself like that and then you've got to put it across the time 
that that happens in the game. So how early or late is this? And how, at what moment in the game does this happen? So the, the really thing that it forces you to stretch as a person and learn what's so difficult when people first get into it is that there is uh, mental flexibility is necessary. Any rule you make can change based on the many variables. So everything is kind of like, it's, it's putting on a hat, finding a rule for a certain situation, and then finding the many times when that rule doesn't apply and kind of trying to understand why that rule doesn't apply. So it's this mm. on the base level, you're running your armies around and having fun kind of blowing things up. But on the deeper level, it's incredibly complicated. And uh, that is the, the very addictive element. And it's the element which I guess as a commentator these days, my job is to try and translate at least a little bit of what the best players in the world are doing because they are playing so blazing fast on such a high level. And trying to turn that into a, a digestible story for uh, people who are watching who maybe have never played the game. Yeah, for sure. And I think that what's, that's what makes it so exciting to watch as well. You know, from a comment, from an audience perspective, um, StarCraft 2 is definitely one of those games that really wrapped me in from that audience perspective just because of how engaging it is. There's so many different things that are happening at once. And, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, someone pulling off a cheese, um, they're pretty much the ones I like the best. Um, but even going into the later macro games where everything's going you know, to pushing into like the half an hour mark, for example, and one small move can really try and end the game. I think from that audience perspective, uh, it's very exciting and uh, it's definitely one of those games that has remained due to its time because um, obviously we've had three different expansions. We've had Wings of Liberty, we've had Heart of the Swarm and Legacy of the Avoid. Um, so it has done its nature. Um, but in regards to, you know, progressing into the future of StarCraft, do you really think that the current, in regards to, I guess, Legacy of the Void, do you think that we'll be seeing any more future expansions? Not for a long time. Uh, I think it's a very... It's a it's it's culturally embedded um, around the world is StarCraft as a franchise. So the lore, the the story of the game, going back to 1998. That's that's what 23 years now, isn't it? Wow. Um, so mm. it's huge. Everyone played this game growing up. Um, everybody had pirated copies of it back in the day before <laughs> they were as good at uh, shutting that sort of stuff down. And I think right now. Um, there's a big question mark there because Blizzard who owns the IP of it. They're very unlikely to give up such a valuable IP, but they also have shown that they're not really interested in investing in RTS right now, which is kind of frustrating as someone who loves RTS games, but uh, it's right. something where I'm like, oh, it's such an easy billion dollars. <laughs> like, like <laughs> it's such an easy billion dollars and it's just, it kind of shows you how big gaming is now that they're like, yeah, that's not enough. We want many, many, many billions of dollars with like a big game we're going to make. Maybe a billion's exaggerating, but honestly, if Blizzard were to create a new big RTS, develop it right, it would it would have huge sales guaranteed. But mm -hmm. they're looking for games um, with, you know, bigger budgets than an Avengers film kind of thing. Like they're, they're looking for that gigantic, ridiculous audience. And they're looking for something which I think, and I don't, I don't have, you know, privy information. I, I feel like Blizzard is probably kind of going, hey, we've done market research and we find that these other genres of games, it's easier to get people in a microtransaction mm -hmm. environment. And that's where the big dollars are in gaming right now. It's... You want to create people not as a one-off purchase. You want them continually buying things over and over again. So, you know, it's it's, it's that thing where gaming has uh, follows the money as everything does. And over the last, what, 15 years especially, we've seen gaming steadily become more and more about 
saying, hey, if we can create a world that sucks up someone's attention and passion and they enjoy, well, we shouldn't just be selling that to them one off like a movie ticket. We should be making a whole lot more money out of that. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of kind of greedy and it's kind of a lot of gamers would say gross, um, but it is the way the world works. You know, money makes things roll around. And if I think about it, if I paid $80 or whatever it was Australian for like Warcraft 3 back in the day, um, <laughs> think about how many thousands of hours I played that game. And I go, yeah, that's probably in terms of if you compare it to any other entertainment industry or kind of art thing, it's like, it's actually the most insane value. So mm. there is a justification for it. But uh, as it is, uh, back to the original question, I guess, StarCraft uh, at the moment, it's kind of just in its current state. There's a few small little tweaks here and there, little, little balance adjustments just to make sure kind of big, uh, problems don't happen where the meta becomes too stale, where the same strategies are being reused, but it's becoming more and more fine-tuned and small. So I feel like StarCraft in its current state is going to be very similar for the next probably three or four years at least. Yeah, and uh, and just touching on what you mentioned before, you know, obviously back in 2017 when StarCraft went free to play, um, definitely something that I didn't actually see. Um, but I think from a you know perspective of trying to get more people engaged within the genre, trying to get the you know beginners into the RTS scene, um, that was successful as itself. Um, and you know, going on with the microtransactions, I think a lot of games are starting to adopt that kind of system nowadays, just because you know, as you said, it is so successful and lucrative. Um, and whether, you know, we have different production or, you know, different, um, you know, shoutcasts in the game and those kind of things that start to get added in or skin bundles. Um, I definitely does. I definitely see how it does support the game. Um, but it's definitely one of those things that, you know, you, it, you really wish that in regards to Starcraft, they do try and really ramp it up in terms of the future. But, um, I think what really draws in the current players and the pre-existing players and the past players as well, is just the replayability because there's so much room to always improve, you know, whether it be working on builds, whether it be fine-tuning micro or macro or, you know, trying to climb the ladder. The replayability is just so there in terms of the game, and I think that's what really captivates the audiences. Well, that's it. I mean, it's it's so nice to have new content and all sorts of awesome other things coming in. It's like, ah, oh, we got a new skin pack. We got a new announcer bundle. Like, woo, new co-op commander. At its core, I mean, there's a reason why there's still so many people, especially in Korea, watching StarCraft right. 1 and playing it. And there's still plenty overseas as well. It's because at its core, you've got a game that is just deep, simple, but, but you know, well, maybe not that simple, but it is, it is deep and beautiful and doesn't really need much changing. And as much as I've enjoyed all the changes with StarCraft 2 over the years in comparison, I mean, they've been relatively minor compared to what a lot of other games out there do. And I mean, mm. there's, there's nothing wrong with letting something build history and kind of evolve that over time. I, I enjoy watching test cricket, which a lot of people would liken to watching paint dry. You know, like they're like, <laughs> nothing's happening, man. Like they're just, they're just standing there. And I'm like, it's like this deep history. There's this long competition going on over days. And look at chess as well. It's like, you can still go study matches from hundreds of years ago. You know, it's, yeah. it's really cool that you can still appreciate that or you can not have played in 10 years and you can come back and you could pick it up and it's the same as when you left it or at least very similar. And StarCraft mm. has that history. If you ask anyone, hey, you know, what's the, the competitive real-time strategy to play? It is StarCraft. And is that for a very good reason? It's because it's got so much uh creativity you can do in terms of there in, in terms of how you adjust your strategies based on what type of units you want to build how aggressive or defensive how many mind games how much trickery you put how many times you try to sell your opponent one story while you actually are doing something different i mean there are there are so many layers to the game and 
you know, people often ask me, hey, aren't you bored of doing StarCraft? You've been doing it for 10 years now or, or even, even longer. And I'm like, yeah, I would be if I, if, I, if I lost my passion for the game. Like if I just kind of half-assed it, there are times where I'm like, oh yeah, this is not that enjoyable. And then every time I set myself some new goals, I'm like, you know what? I've been playing a certain way. Let's reinvent myself. Let's play in this completely different opposite way and figure out how to make that work. And it's like this bam, brand new learning process all over again because i've got to kind of revisit all my assumptions i've got to focus on the details it's immediately humbling kind of realizing a lot of the basics don't work the way they had with the style i'd maybe practiced a lot more so there's there's you know that as well as the fact that i'm i'm kind of commentating and uh and, and learning all three races constantly nowadays as mm. a pro player i only played one and Every time I think I figured something out, the pros show a way of of kind of countering that or dealing with it, and and where you need to be constantly adapting and adjusting. So, it's the very harsh uh, competitive environment where things are always being figured out and little adjustments that no one had ever thought of are, are kind of just being evolved many years down the track. That's what keeps it fresh and exciting, and that's why no other game has such a, a stable player base over such a long period of time. Uh, people still kind of Rant, they they chant out StarCraft is is dead as a meme, and it's like <laughs> if, if they could see the graph of the player base, which Blizzard doesn't publicly reveal very often, yeah. it doesn't move. It's just like <laughs> it goes down a little and goes up again. People come back to the game periodically. People go into it, and other big game releases don't actually affect the player base. Um, almost every other game, if there's a new big title that comes out, like a Cyberpunk, Starcraft will be the one game where you, you see this like tiny dent in the player base for the week that game comes out and then back to normal. Yep. And every other game is like dropping 50% in, in player base, sometimes more. And and that just kind of tells you the people that like Starcraft are not just looking at this as a temporary distraction. They're playing Starcraft because it's something that's challenging them and forcing them to learn and adapt and evolve. So it's more than just a game. It's, it's a tool for self-improvement and it's, it's competition and it's a, a kind of mental sharpening tool. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the biggest things about StarCraft in my perspective as, as it is, um, it's probably on the market today. One of the hardest games just to fully master. Cause you know, you can't really ultimately master StarCraft just because you can always, you know, find little niches or tinks in the armor to really try and learn new skills, as you said. Um, and it's about, you know, that kind of mechanically and mentally self-fulfilling challenge that really StarCraft provides. Uh, because, you know, there's that sudden adaptation where, oh, you know, I finally got this build down, Pat. I don't need to look on, you know, my other screen to to see if I'm, you know, hitting the timings right. Or I'm, you know, I'm good getting good at scouting now. I can really start, you know, try and adapt and um, scout with this. You know, I've got to try and do these sort of things. But then, you know, once you learn that and then you take the next step, the next step, and it really is never really ever ending. And uh, I think that's why I really love StarCraft when I got first into it. Um, but then once I really dug deep and really started to really flesh out everything in StarCraft, um, it was one of those games that I just looked at and it was like, it really doesn't end. Yep. It is <laughs> every every level. It's it's a new appreciation for everything that you're lacking, right? And it's the the joke is always everyone says one day I just want to be in Diamond League so I can be good, and everybody who's in Diamond League laughs at them <laughs> and says, "Oh no, we you just get to Diamond and realize you're still terrible," you know. And it's the same with Masters. It's <laughs> the same with Grandmasters. It, there's no there's no finish uh, in sight, and it's it's good for teaching you that it's um yeah eternally humbling every time you get cocky in starcraft it uh, has something to say about that 
Yeah, for sure. And I remember uh, when I first joined, you know, during the Wings of Liberty time, and just constantly in the background, I had, uh, you know, when I'm Grandmaster, and I just had that playing again and again and again. And that was just on repeat. And um, it was that, you know, just that community that StarCraft has built and that thriving, um, you know, resemblance that it's created. I think it's, you know, something really amazing and such a strong community um, within itself. And uh, I think it's one of those awesome communities that will be long lasting, as you said before. Hells yeah. Um, you, you, you made it to Masters League, right? Yeah, yeah, I made it to I made it to Masters towards Heart of the Swarm, and I, I started Legacy of the Void a little bit early. I was still in Masters then, but then I sort of dropped off a little bit and really started to focus on more fours, um, just because I love that team element. Just because you know, going from being your one one man army by yourself, um, and then suddenly you know having you know three more people that you have to try and micromanage alongside, or you know four people in total you have to verse. Um, that added that extra dynamic flexibility that I liked because I like to turtle up quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I did I did reach uh, Masters, definitely not Grandmaster. Um, so I never actually got there in the end, but um, maybe one day. That's, that's still an immense uh, effort. I mean, it's funny because everyone, when they get good at something, I think they often lose perspective. And they always mm-hmm. like, and that's kind of what we we're just saying, you know, once you're diamond, you just realize how much worse you are. But um, everyone does that in everything, you know, like, like they're like, forget how bad they were at the start really like like we really do lose perspective because it's it's you're just putting one foot in front of the other and it's always the end goal in sight but if you could actually watch kind of recordings of yourself playing and the, the mistakes you'd you know be running into and these really simple problems you just didn't know where to begin solving uh it's 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 crazy so very impressive actually um yeah getting to masters and I, I'm a big team game fan as well. I haven't played much of it over the years, but I'm getting more into it in the last two years. And definitely, uh, you take that 1v1 environment, you make it dynamic. Uh, yeah, that's that's the word you used. Yeah. <laughs> chaotic is another <laughs> word, I think. It's, yeah, um, chaotic. It's awesome, though. So, yeah, man, that's um, that's super cool. I, I, I definitely, you know, got a, got a long, long love with this game now. So, I mean, I guess it's 2021 now, right? So, it's uh, coming up on the 11th year. Starcraft too. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a, it's been a while, but um, but one thing I want to really get in deep with is uh, is your background as a professional player. So uh, originally you joined TT Esports and then you moved on to Exile Five. Um, and what I'm curious about is how you went from you know just playing by yourself to getting into these teams and that kind of dynamic that you created with these teams and you know the sort of the environment that was going on within these teams as well. Yeah, well, I think it's a kind of interesting. I mean, those teams were, were fantastic. I mean, TT was more of like a individual sponsorship sort of thing back in the day. Okay. Um, Exile5 was a little bit more of a team, but I was also their, their first StarCraft player. So teams and, and classic and esports, where it was back then, so this is uh, late 2011 was TT. Right. Early 2013 was Exile5. I mean, these were both kind of more sponsorship conglomerations and and hobby mm. clubs i guess you could call it than than what you'd see in a modern esports team especially down in australia where everything's obviously usually a little bit further behind um being so far away we're so spread out our internet's worse or you know all, all of that stuff we don't get as many champions on a big international stage to get the whole mm. country riled up as a result of that um but yeah essentially i mean i'd, I'd just kind of fallen in love with the game and and steadily practiced more and more and over the months and 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 years, I'd uh, kind of realized that I was, I was so hooked on playing the game. Probably, I think you'd probably call it addictive for sure. And uh, <laughs> you know, since I didn't really have any real goals with it at that point, I was just loving it. 
Um, but there was a point where, yeah, I was just kind of like dropped out of university because I, I realized I was just not focused on school and I was just loving this game. And it had just, I just found out about this gaming world. And there was, you know, these people who were starting to stream. There's people who are coaching. There's people on the biggest teams who are getting these big salaries. And I kind of went, you know what? Mm. I've won my $20 in my tiny little online <laughs> tournament. I've, I've, I've made 15 bucks an hour coaching a few people. Like, you know, it's not much, but I mean, I haven't really been trying it yet. I reckon I could do this full time and try to try to become a pro. And, and I'm passionate enough about it. And it seems crazy, but look, the idea is I'll try as hard as I can to be pro. I'll coach people in the meantime and get really good at that. And then I will, worst comes to worst, try and become like a streamer and a commentator and, you know, create content and that sort of stuff. And uh, I kind of basically just did that. And I just I just kind of dropped everything and, and set my mind to it. And uh, over the, the the time, it was always, you know, quite a lot of hours of coaching and trying to advertise myself and figure things out. Yeah. And then the rest of the time was just practice, practice, practice. And it was pretty disorganized. And I would say this was like, this was not me bringing discipline to StarCraft. It was StarCraft forced some discipline to me, but it was always very chaotic and disorganized. So it was kind of like a blind man wading through, you know, the room feeling his way around. When I think about it with what I know now, if I could time travel back to that time, man, I would be whipping myself into shape. You know, I'd be like, there'd be a, there'd be a montage straight out of a Rocky film. I'd be like, all right, you know, we'd be skipping, we'd be running up those steps, we'd be <laughs> hitting the bags in a much more organized fashion, so to speak. It would be, it would be a very different process, but um, that's, I, I just didn't have a, a massive amount of life experience or knowledge of how to really improve at a competition back then. But it just came to grinding and studying and asking every single pro player I ran into in an online tournament or a ladder for advice and just trying to get practice partners uh, overseas as much as possible. And over, yeah, and and I was always on the forums and I was always talking about the game. Mm. And I was always debating people about the game and, and strategy threads. And I think that was a big part of the learning was learning such a complicated system on your own. It's it's just not going to happen. Like you, you, you can come up with your own unique understanding and you can avoid groupthink because of that and kind of end up with a really unique set of things that you understand better than anybody else but you're missing out on the shared knowledge pool. And that's the most important thing for anyone getting into a competitive esport to tap into. And it's what I did a reasonably good job of tapping into early on was mm -hmm. just constantly being hungry for that information and going, tell me, tell me how I do this. Tell me how I do that. Let's, let's figure out all those details. So I was just always hunting for that information. And because of that, I, I rose up very quickly um, and uh, to to become one of the best players in Australia. So I think it was WCG 2011, I got third place, um, which was kind of the first big tournament I was really proud of. I'd gone full-time earlier that year, probably less than six months before that. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a kind of a big proud moment. I just got picked up by TT Esports, I think just after or just before that tournament. And uh, kind of from there, just kept that, that process of trying to practice as hard as I could. And as I started... Um, kind of qualifying for international events and uh, starting to win some of the championships in Australia as well, it kind of became much more possible to say, okay, cool. I'm winning money from actually winning tournaments now. There's still very little sponsorship dollars to go around, but I can now have a big enough name and a big enough support in this very passionate Australian scene to kind of corral enough sponsorship dollars to try to get those experiences overseas and that was always mm. the goal for me was there's no way you can just be the best in australia not back then anyway 
and make a proper career out of it. And for me, this was always, hey, if I'm putting everything towards this, this can't just be screwing around. You know, I've got to, I got to make money. And as a sports person, you can't just make enough money to feed yourself. Like if you've got to make enough money to make bank because you've only got so many years in any competition. Exactly. It's worse in physical sports. I like mad respect for athletes. Just, I think they're crazy um, because, you know, <laughs> one torn knee ligament or something can just ruin your whole career. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what they all do. But uh, you don't have that, but you still have a very quickly changing scene and just a constant influx of talent because there is low barrier to entry with uh, you know a game that's that's online and that sort of thing. So I was always saying, look, I need to get to be one of the big international names. Uh, and once I do that, I can see myself making enough money to kind of say, hey, I'm a real pro gamer. This is a real career. We've done it. We're established. And, uh, you know, this is a viable choice for the rest of my life. Man, what a story. Love it. Um, I really, you know, mad hats off to you. Just just the fact of dropping everything and really having this really focused and narrowed approach to, I guess, wanting to pursue what you were so in love with, and that was StarCraft. And, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people nowadays – I mean, obviously nowadays with esports, there's a very dynamic system that's you know not the same as it was back then. Um, but you know, back then, a lot of people would have really started to focus and narrow in on university just because that was predominantly the mindset of a lot of people back then. Um, that you know, university is the only way. You have to go to university. You have to you know get a good job through uni, and um, you know, going through these other domains and streams and rivers um, won't pay off as well. But um, but clearly looking at yourself now, uh, very well established and an awesome YouTube channel to back up that knowledge that you learned throughout the years uh, that's really forthcoming and helping other people uh, alongside it. So it's uh, it's amazing what you've done. And, um, you know, do you have any regrets along the way that maybe you, you know, would have done something different? If I could time travel, I'd do a thousand things different, but I don't regret it because I think the the important thing was always that I was like, I know this is kind of crazy and it's risky and, and going off the beaten path is always dangerous. And I definitely wouldn't mm -hmm. just recommend this and say, go do this, guys. The reason it worked for me is because I had enough uh, self-belief to want right. to do it. And then I was also lucky enough that my, my partner, my now wife, was also very supportive when I brought it to her. Mm -hmm. And she kind of you know backed me in it as well. So um, it, it's something where it's not something where you go, oh, yeah, you just need to believe in it and just do it and it'll, it'll just happen. So it, it's something about... Um, I guess in the past, I've referred to this as like macroing at, uh, at life. Uh, so macro, uh, for anyone who's, I guess, like you mentioned, not everyone will know StarCraft here in the audience. So yep. micro, your micromanagement, obviously it's your small tasks, right? Micromanaging. So in StarCraft, that's always all about controlling individual units. So you shoot that guy, you run away, you go do this, like real, that sort of stuff. Macro, it's, it's managing your economy it's building more bases it's building up to bigger tasks to the next stage to more upgrades right so i always have this this view of like okay this is kind of a crazy thing that i'm doing but the idea is if i am enjoying it and learning while i'm doing it what's the worst that happens i spend x amount of time years yes i don't get them back but life is not a race um mm -hmm. it really isn't as long as you're you're actually developing along the way right and especially if you've already thought about that and you've got the backup plans, the, hey, what if I don't make it as a pro gamer? Or I can, oh, I've got this coaching thing that I'm already doing, but I can also try to do, uh, you know, commentary. I can try to do content and streaming and, and, and whatever else. And that, that plan may have been a little vague, but the idea was, look, I am going to learn how to learn. Um, 
learn how to apply myself really hard and disciplined to one thing with this whole StarCraft thing that I'm getting into. And I'm going to learn how to push through the many obstacles that get thrown in my way and try and make things happen, which very few people in the scene thought was really possible. Um, you know, most people are like, ah, you can't really do it in Australia. You know, we had Moonglade at the time who was our top dog, but he was the top Warcraft 3 player for years before that. And he kind of went into it as this really expert RTS player with years of experience who spent six months before StarCraft 2 came out, came out practicing Brood War, practicing StarCraft 1 saying, I'm going to get my skills ready and I'm going to come steaming out of the gates. And he was one of the best players from the very start of the game and a huge name to this day and a good friend as well, Andy, um, who I always looked up to a lot. But he was the one guy and everyone was like, well, you could do that if you had five years of competing, you know, at WCG internationally and Warcraft and (laughs) being the best player in Australia and you could bring all that RTS experience and preparation. And here I was a player who the game came out and was like, oh, this is fun. Like, <laughs> let's let's see if I can maybe learn how to play it good. You know, it was like this real lack of experience. And in a deep genre like RTS, that's a massive disadvantage. Um, almost all the players who did well in the early years had been playing RTS games competitively for years. And they could like mm-hmm. take a lot of those lessons and just overlay them onto the new game. There were specifics right. that needed to be adjusted. But their whole learning process, their understanding of core RTS fundamentals was there. I didn't have any of that. So I 100% had to have this view of like, look, I'm going to be learning how to learn. I'm trying to play catch up. But as long as I am enjoying it, I'm out there talking to people, making new friends. I'm getting to travel the world, uh, competing, which started to happen more and more. And maybe I can make some connections, you know, put my name out there a little bit as well. But the idea is if I could just kind of learn this game, Hopefully I could turn learning this game into, into content if I absolutely have to later on down the track if pro gaming doesn't work out. Dang. The way you put everything, it feels like, you know, Starcraft's that father figure. It really it's really spewing out those life lessons. <laughs> um yeah, I, I definitely, you know, understand that from that, you know, kind of internal perspective that there's so many different unique foundations that StarCraft can bring. And, um, you know, as you said before, you know, those players who came from Brood War had those pre-existing foundations, you know, they had those man- the mechanics. They knew, you know, kind of the inside out of the game and um, yourself coming into it at that entry level um, and then just taking that, you know, taking a step back from an external perspective and saying, hey, this is the process I'm going to go through. This is it what we're going to do? And this is, you know, what I try and envision. And, you um, just having the mindset to go with that as well, the mental fortitude to, to be able to really back yourself. And um, you know, obviously with the support of your loved ones as well, um, it definitely does help, especially when you're going at it by yourself. Um, it could be quite daunting and uh, yeah, big respect in that, in that regard, just, just for the, just for the mental fortitude, really knuckling down and going at it. I appreciate that, man. It's um, you know, it's funny looking back on it because it's such a long time now and there's there, it's not all just, you know, it's easy to look back at it and we kind of all tell our own stories and wrap it up in a nice little bundle, but it wasn't neat. It wasn't um, easy by any means. There was many points where I was doubting what I was doing, right? And going, oh man, what am I getting myself into? What have I what have I committed to here? Or, you know, the number of times where I was just absolutely shattered after I'd get, you know, put all this work and effort into getting to an international tournament, crush the, the Australian qualifier or championship to get there or whatever. And man, <laughs> you get there and just get stomped into the ground and go, oh man, like this is, this is, you know, the, the, the end is even is much further than I realized where it was. And, you know, you're kind of having to recalibrate like, okay, like, you know, 
how can I, how can I do this? How can I do that? And and where am I going to get this performance uh, up to? So it's, it was, yeah. it was a messy time. There was definitely a lot of doubts along the way. A few moments where I pushed through some moments where I was inefficient, maybe not as driven or as focused as I could have been. It wasn't all uh pedal to the metal by any means but uh in mm. terms of the grand scheme i am very proud of what i achieved and i'm very proud of the fact that i did push through um i guess just to give a summary of kind of where the career went from there and in, in real cliff notes uh so it was late 2011 third place in wcg by the middle to late 2012 i won a few of the australian championships uh i won an acl and oh, actually i did win a qualifier in the end of 2011 no i got second place in it but the other guy dropped out. So I got to go anyway. <laughs> so anyways, basically like late 2012, I started being actually the Australian champ. Um, that also coincided luckily with the other guy who was the previous champ kind of stepping back. So unfortunately didn't get to live out a big rivalry there. But from there, there was more and more travel overseas, going to these events, trying to make a name for myself. Um, you know, there was a, a dream hack in early 2013 where I ended up being knock, knocked out by the Korean champion. Um, and soon to be world champion life uh but but i took out a whole bunch of people who were you know no one really expected there's a few tournaments yeah. like that over the years where i had these little little flash experiences which were good results but big story most of the tournaments i bombed out terribly i got smashed internationally had big issues with stage fright uh big issues i think with like putting too much pressure on myself and that sort of stuff and so mm -hmm. i ended up having a lot of experiences i lived in a team house in korea for a month and a half in late 2012 in 2014 um i managed to put together um me and dot did a, we got all of our sponsorship stuff together and made a proposal to my team we went and lived in switzerland and also london and did the whole dreamhack circuit over a summer up there for four months so that was like just living in a team house, training all day, doing all that. So we had a few of these stints where I tried to give myself kind of the same training environment, the same mm. setting as the international guys who were more experienced and were also the guys who I had to step up and find a way to get on their level. Um, but ultimately, it was it was kind of like that trip was my last real push to say, I've got to start getting quarterfinals, at least in these big events, because mm -hmm. there was not much prize money back then. And there wasn't that much sponsor dollars either compared to nowadays. And I didn't make it. I had uh, a few disappointing tournaments. I had a few great online performances, qualified to a big tournament, which I, sh I you know, people didn't expect me to, but then barely lost my matches there. So there was a lot of near misses, a lot of high pressure moments where I let games slip out of my, you know, lead slip away. And in the end, I actually kind of summarized it as me saying, you know what, I, I failed as a pro gamer because I didn't hit my goal of making a proper full-time career living out of my winnings. And I, my bank account was empty and I had to actually come back and I had to just kind of say, okay, plan B, you know, I, I'm still competing because I've done all this practice and I'm good at it and I enjoy it, but it's not something I can rely on. And so it was late 2014 when I started to step towards streaming. Um, I'd almost forgotten at that point. I was so single-minded about becoming the best pro I could that I'd stopped coaching. I'd, I'd kind of put all my efforts into this one basket and it didn't pay off in as short a time span as I wanted it to. In hindsight, a very unrealistic time span with what I know now. But, you know, I, I, I had very few funds. I had very few resources. I had to do it with what I, what I could. And I almost, almost got some of the results I wanted. Didn't quite. And, uh, yeah, basically that, that I started streaming and stuff. At one point there, I remember I'd kind of forgotten about Plan B even. It was so far from my mind. I came back mm. from that trip and was like, oh, do I go down to McDonald's and ask if I can give him my resume? <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> like I, I need work right now to pay rent in a few weeks time and I've got, yeah. you know, I've got no cash. 
Um, and, and luckily I turned my stream on and, and hadn't done that in months and months and had a big outpouring of support from a whole bunch of friends I'd made overseas and all the different pro players who were sending their viewers my way and that sort of stuff. And, uh, it kind of, kind of thankfully allowed me to, an easy and natural path into streaming. I was still competing. I actually had some of my best results after making that decision where I probably right. took some of the mental pressure off myself on every single competitive, competitive result, having to be, you know, the one that solidifies me and hitting my goal. Mm -hmm. And um, started getting some guest analysis uh, desk segments um, at the big tournaments in the middle of 2015. And the last premier tournament that I competed in, I never officially retired and I still compete. I, I, I'm very vocal. I'm like, I never, I've never technically retired, but <laughs> <laughs> I just, I understand that without putting all your efforts in, I know I'm not going to make a big splash. The last premier tournament I played in was March, uh, February, March, 2016. And uh, I did get my butt kicked at that one as well. I got absolutely smashed by Huck, the uh, the North American legend. But uh, that was kind of the end of the pro gaming career. And from there, it's just become more and more trying to make streaming a full-time thing. Um, I did YouTube mostly as a focus before that, uh, becoming better at commentating with a bit of focus behind that and uh, kind of building out the content creation, being an expert in the game, being an advocate for StarCraft and, and all of that as the main thrust. So... I said the cliff notes ended up going a bit longer than I meant, but that, that just gives a picture of where the career went for anyone who's completely uninitiated. Hey man, what a CV, what a rich man. I mean, you know, as you said before, even if you failed, failed as a pro gamer, um, I think you've more than succeeded as a role model for the players and, you know, the community, you know, being that voice of reason, being that one that, uh, you know, especially the OC scene, um, we have that kind of, you know, leader and i think we all see that in yourself and um you know those previous life experiences whether it be playing in the playing in the team house in korea or you know traveling over overseas um i think all of that has kind of solidified your kind of stance within the star starcraft community and i think that's what a lot of people see as well um and it's just yes yeah, it's just it's oh, i don't know what to say it's just astounding to hear it from you from your from your perspective um yeah it's really amazing what you've achieved and uh it's very, you know, interesting to hear from your perspective. I appreciate that, man. It's, um, you know, it was quite a journey. And I think right when, whenever things were most intense, whether it was the, the pressure from the bank balance or putting too much pressure on my own shoulders to, to perform at events, you know, there'd always be the moment where it's like, hey, wait a second, I'm, I'm in Cologne, Germany, you know, drinking a beer with some friends who I would never have met in, in a regular life path here uh, down by the river. And, and, you know, I'm meeting these amazing people super smart people um mm. i get to play a game and i you know i'd have those moments where it's like hey wait a second all this pressure i put on myself and, and blah 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 yeah you know, I, gotta, I gotta be successful and all this crazy kind of self-criticism and then it's just kind of like wait a second hey if worst comes to worst and i step out of this and i do something else go back to your school become a construction worker go work retail mm. whatever the hell happens um, you know, it's, these are years where I got this really valuable and interesting life experience. And I got to go down this really yeah. unique path and uh, figure things out on the way. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but, uh, they were all kind of really cool learning opportunities and it's all, it's all life experience. So, I mean, the fact yeah. that I've been to so many countries around the world for, for Starcraft of all things, like 14 year old me would never have thought that this was even a possibility. <laughs> Mate, fourteen-year-old me was losing to Mass Raven, so uh, yeah, definitely nothing to be uh, nothing to be sad about. But it's just fantastic, mate, and I um, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's a, it's it's nothing short of amazing. No worries. I, I hope you didn't just hear Kalaris' voice. By the way, I accidentally just bumped my soundboard, 
Um, <laughs> That's started right. playing a voice line, funnily enough, with my friend going, <laughs> great point, pig. <laughs> Um, so I was like, oh man, I hope that doesn't come through my headphones. That'd just be the strangest sound effect. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Is he playing a soundboard to congratulate himself? What he just said? It's it's for a bit on the stream, I promise. I'm not that strange. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, so um one thing that I really wanted to try and get your perspective and kind of thought process around, um, I've always seen StarCraft as one of the hardest games to psychologically understand. Um, and, you know, with your life experiences, I'm sure you've gone through that, you know, as you said before, um, stepping up, up on stage is one of the small pieces of the puzzle to perfecting StarCraft. And, um, you know, not all of us get there. Um, we're going to have our ups and downs. And it's one of those biggest psychological battles um, that I've gone through in my gaming uh, previous career, not really career, but experiences, you know, whether that be playing an FPS or playing a MOBA, I've nothing had, I have not really had the same experiences I have in StarCraft just because I think when I step back and look from it from a, an external perspective, um, you know, even if you're playing the same race, for example, Terran v Terran, uh, which is one of the one of the kind of uh, kind of uh, groups that you can select in StarCraft, um, it's essentially you start off at the exact same level. So you start off at time zero, um, and it's a really about, you know, how you can defeat the other opponent. And, um, and there's just so many ways to do that. And I think that's what, the pressure gradually over time built uh, in myself um, just because there is so many different ways that you can make a mistake and the mistakes kind of started to overwhelm the positives and the attitude slowly started to drift. So, you know, throughout your career, when you were, whether you're competing in Germany or Korea, um, you know, what was there any really big moments where you thought, hey, I really can't do this anymore. I really can't psychologically get over the game. Or was it more so I've really adapted towards this game. Um, yes, the anxiety is there, the pressure's there, uh, but I can just overcome that. Mm, I think it's it's a slow evolution of learning little like tactics and and tools over time, right? To deal with those those thoughts where it's like, yeah, sometimes, and I, I think this is one of the the biggest areas, which, you know, if I could go back, what would I change? It's like when I was competing, I think my mental control was really poor. I think a lot of pro players were as well. Mm. We didn't have a lot of coaches. We didn't have a lot of people living together outside of Korea in team houses. It was pretty a rare, it was a pretty rare experience. For most people, it would be a few months at a time at most. So there's something mm. where when you're in a closer environment with people and you're all kind of watching and helping each other and you're more open with it, there's a bit more of a, a natural kind of helping each other through those points where you're, you're like you said, all the negative possibilities start to outweigh the the joy of playing the game or the focus. And you start just kind mm. of drowning and mentally calculating every single possibility that could go right. wrong. And that's something which would absolutely happen with me um, playing at big tournaments and, and that sort of thing where... I would just get put on so much pressure. I get super excited. I would, the adrenaline would be pumping. Um, I had no knowledge about meditation or breathing exercises or anything like that, which that's one of the first things I would teach myself. If I had to like teleport back in time to coaching myself, you know, a day or two before a big event, I'd be like, okay, cool. Like you've done the practice. There's nothing more we can do with that. We just need to like make you not freak the hell out when you're sitting in, in front of a big arena playing on a stage. And it's like, we're just going to do breathing exercises and some like basic, just mental, you know, maybe do a bit of journaling, bit of visualization. Um, it mm -hmm. would be all mental techniques, which I do now. And I'm like, man, I wish I had some real competition. I was involved in to, to do these <laughs> on, you know, like 
I don't get to really coach many pro players these days. There's occasionally I do, and it's always such a treat when I do get to. Um, mm. It's more amateurs who I'm, I'm helping learn the game and that sort of stuff. But yeah, there's there's all these different tools and tactics. So I think um, whether just in training, there's 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 lots of things. But like you know, um, I mean, we just mentioned visualization. We just mentioned mentioned uh, you know breathing exercise. There's so many different things yeah, to really talk is. about. Um, I guess let's just take a step away from those ones and we could just talk about when you're just learning the game and more for anyone this can apply, but it does apply to pros as well. And they naturally learn some of this to some extent, but it's like your tools for understanding Starcraft and learning it because it's so vast and it's so unkind, right? Like it'll, it'll, you get punished by things that come out of the dark. So some of the big tools that you have to learn is how to, either bring yourself up close to a problem, but also to distance yourself from a problem and push yourself back. So it's, you need to be able to be very good at honing in that ability to just zoom in on a problem and really process and think about that and try to solve it or come up with some sort of uh, actionable solution, which sometimes that's also very hard because you don't know if that's going to work. So it's scientific as well. It's i I'm going to try this. I think this will work but we need to actually go and do the experiment now of trying it a bunch of times, not just once one failure does not mean it doesn't work. Right. And see how that works and understand why it does or doesn't work. Right. So Mm -hmm. then there's other times where you need to go, okay, I'm so focused on that detail. Wait a second. None of these solutions are working. I've tried this. It didn't work. I put it through the experiment. I tried this other thing. It didn't work. And then you need to like distance yourself. You need to push yourself way back from the problem and kind of go, let's just look at fundamentals. Let's look at context. Have I mm-hmm. looked at this situation from my opponent's point of view? So it forces you to do a lot of like analogous thinking where you're like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so I'm focusing on the tiny details. Wait a second, let's like think about this in broad pictures. Like, and you know, I'm a, I am I love military history and ancient history and stuff. I might think of it <laughs> in terms of like an ancient battle or something because yeah. then I can think, I'm like, what did what, what would Genghis Khan have done here? You know, like what, 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 what the hell would Julius Caesar have done in this battle? Or, you know, what was the the mistake these guys made in this particular battle in World War II? And I can, I can do that, but you could do it with many different, you know, any analogy really works. You could use business strategy or whatever. And it's that ability to hone in on the tiny details of a problem and be like, you know what? I needed to build this worker five seconds faster. Um, I keep forgetting mm. the supply depot at the start of the game. And it's always five to 10 seconds late. That's slowing everything down beyond that. I got to focus on this one tiny little detail and that can be the solution or a very big factor that helps you improve. But then it can also be something where you're like, wait a second, I'm so focused on playing perfectly. Let's just take a step back and think about the mental game and go, hey, I'm trying to execute so perfectly and my opponent is actually so aware of what I'm doing because I'm not even thinking about them. I'm so focused on what I'm doing that it is blatantly obvious what I'm doing because there's no misdirection. There's no hiding it. I'm not focusing on that. So my opponent is like five steps ahead on dealing with it. They have so much room for error because what they're doing is so tailored to stopping what I'm doing. Mm. And therefore I am kind of almost like I'm, I'm seeking diminishing returns. Like I'm not putting my energy into the most efficient way of improving anymore. And that's like sometimes where you're like, oh, it's valuable to grind really hard and focus on a detail, but then you've got to always periodically like reframe your thinking and go back and look at things, put, try on different hats, look at it in different ways, look at it from your opponent's point of view, look at the big picture, reevaluate and say, is it worth putting more energy into improving this one area? when there's much easier to gains, you know, to be had elsewhere. 
So these are like some of the tools that you just kind of gradually have to evolve. And inevitably when you're new to it, it's like a feeling of just every time you run into one of those problems, it feels like you're just at a dead end. You're at a brick wall. There's nowhere to go. What you've been doing up to that point has been good improvement. It simply is no longer applicable. And StarCraft will teach you that time and again, that the correct Mm. thing for you to do to get better, that's awesome. That's great. And then it's just not going to be the correct thing to do anymore. And you need to, you need to learn a wide range of skills. Um, it will punish you if you are a one trick pony, or if you are only focused on the execution, or if you're only focused on the mind games of tricking your opponent, but you never work on the fundamentals of how to build up a big army properly. So it's this incredibly punishing detailed environment, but that I think is the, the gain which it kind of forces you to rather than kind of just smashing up against problems it can teach you to find a more efficient path to victory. Yeah. And so essentially like, um, you know, Starcraft is that umbrella. So you can, you know, there's tons of little different raindrops coming off in it, whether it be anxiety that you have to deal with, whether you have to deal with pressure, whether you have to deal with quick thinking, whether you have to deal with, um, you know, brute forcing, brute forcing a positive attitude towards the game, whether it be, um, you know, quickly, you know, adapting to a mistake, (laughs) There's so many things that can happen in one game. Um, and I think when those negative things happen, that's when our mindset starts to really try and crumble. And I think being able to have that mental positive fortitude in the game, um, you know, especially obviously, you know, from that beginning perspective, learning, just the learning curve, I think is so vast. But then again, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, um, when you break down those things, it comes a lot easier. And then yeah. once you start to get high ranks it's just nitty and gritty and the small things you're working on gradually gradually refining micro refining a build refining ensuring your scouting properly um it's one of those things that you you know psychologically start to understand it you know all of a sudden everything's really clicked yeah and even when you're a pro you still go down that dark road of what the hell this seems unfair this seems terrible uh And some players stay in that for far too long. But, you know, I, I remember, okay, so Snoot, uh, a Norwegian player, super famous and, mm. you know, a big champion. And, and when there was a period of Korean dominance, he was the one non-Korean or one of the very few who was like consistently smashing so many of them to make high placings in tournaments, to win championships. And a player who, who and he, this would be, you know, he, he would say it, and I probably agree with him, not naturally talented at the game there there are players who come in with just a raw amount of quickness and talent and and you know decisiveness he didn't really have that but he was hard work and just methodical you know process personified like really just detailed mm. adamant hard work and like he always would periodically have problems especially in his zerg versus protoss matchup but he'd have it in all of them every now and then and you know i he, he coached me a fair bit i'd always be asking him for help and and he really helped me a lot back in the day um just just because i'd ask him questions on skype and he, he kind of brought a whole bunch of, of young players under his wing but he's like look if you're angry at something if you get to that point you probably don't really understand it like you're probably just looking at it wrong and so he would build a trigger where whenever he started getting angry at a match he's like okay i need to like just clear two days in my schedule no or three days no online tournaments or anything and i'm just gonna look at replays I'm going to look at a whole bunch of replays of the top players in that matchup, the best in the world. Look at those guys, look at what they're doing, try to understand it, really look at all the details of how their their strategies work. I'm going to look at how I'm playing and I'm just going to do everything I can to like 
just try and look at different ways of playing it, get inspired and try to recreate my understanding from a ground up level. And basically he would go through and just kind of challenge all of his assumptions and be like, cause there's gotta be some that are faulty was, was always mm. the approach. He's like, there's, 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 if I'm just getting angry, it's because I feel it's unfair. If I feel it's unfair, it's because I don't truly understand what's happening because I know, I know on a, a logical level, this is an incredibly balanced game. And there's always a thousand things that I can do to play better and to win. Um, mm. So that sort of like thing that even a pro player would, would systematically get angry. And he was one of the most mentally disciplined, but there are other ones who just feel like, no, Terran's unfair. They're ridiculous. This is so stupid, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> and some players would kind of thrive in that anger and still play really well and, and find a way to, you know, motivate themselves negatively. But definitely, I think there was always um, that ability, yeah, to, to find a way to just kind of go back and, and reframe what you're looking at. Very, very powerful. And I mean, when you're, you're dealing with the, the pressure and the anxiety of matches and you're dealing with the, the struggle of finding the right build orders and being confident of the right things, super duper important as a, as a player because part of what funnels you towards um, those mistakes is, is, like I said, it's that ability to grind and it's the scientific approach of like, no, I'm going to try this and I'm just going to keep trying to get it just perfectly executed till it works. That's something you mm. kind of need as a pro player but it also tends towards making it very easy for you to think you're being effective because you're just grinding hard, trying to perfect a thing and forgetting to take a step back and, and actually go, wait a second. Like, do I, is this, is this the right thing to be perfecting? Is this really the right thing to be perfecting? And there's a lot of players who get stuck in the trap of just saying, well, I can look at the game and yes, if I was perfect, this would win. Therefore it is the right thing. End of story. And let's leave the assumption there. And, that I think is the the way a lot of pro players uh, stay stuck in the middle of the pack. I think you very rarely break out of the middle of the pack or the bottom end of the pack if you're stuck in that mindset. And if I look back, there was definitely periods of time where I, as someone who's newer to RTS games, had the same approach where I was like, nah, if I just get better at this, because I could see I wasn't as good at executing as some of these other guys, but I was predictable. Like there was, there was periods where I was going to tournaments and I was so predictable and mm. I mean, you better have some damn, damn good flair, some damn good aggression and you're throwing your opponent off and all sorts of things. If you're going to be predictable, you've got to, you've got to create, you know, you've got to just be so damned good. And, um, I would kind of ignore the strategic side of things for some tournaments there. And, uh, that's a trap you can fall into. So yeah, there's this, this constant painful process of grinding hours in but then forcing yourself to say okay you're grinding yourself under certain assumptions under certain rules that you adhere to and say this is the way to play and then you've constantly got to smash those rules to pieces and say no look at it with fresh eyes look at it with fresh eyes let's confirm challenge everything so there is a, a deep root of you need to be a deep critical thinker who constantly challenges everything if you want to be at the forefront of starcraft to strategy evolving thinking and competition yeah, for sure. And um, I think one of the biggest stresses, at least in my perspective as well, is when you grind and when you grind and when you grind and you don't see any valuable learning. Um, you know, for example, when you just constantly, constantly go at it and that emotional understanding that, you know, I am putting these hours in, I'm investing time, I'm trying new builds, I'm trying new matchups. But then, you know, obviously at the end of the line, you have to think about ladder. And, you know, that's always a, you know, a understanding that, you know, obviously if I want to get better, um, I have to verse better opponents or opponents that are at my skill level. I'm not 
ultimately going to get better if I'm versing people who aren't at my skill level. And I think that's where that kind of anxiety can also come in, in terms of ladder anxiety. Um, you know, ladder anxiety is kind of for those, you know, obviously not played place, have not played Starcraft before. It's kind of that underlying pressure, that immense pressure that you want to play, you want to get better, but you just can't really hit that play button, or at least that's how I found it. Um, you know, I really want to have that, you know, I really want to progress. I really want to get better, but there's always that fear of losing rating, you know, whether you're, you know, maybe one or two games of promotion. Um, there's that fear of having a really bad loss record history. There's that fear of your friends, you know, seeing your rating that's lower. Um, but I think one of the biggest understandings of that is that loss is inevitable. Um, you know, obviously losing is sometimes better because that's where we learn. That's where we make the mistakes that we can actually take a step back, go into the replay view, have a look at what we did wrong and really start to kind of pick apart the different things where we could have done better. Because if we win and we take that win, we, you know, we might jump to the replay viewer for a couple of seconds, couple of minutes, but we won't go as in depth as if we, you know, took an L. So, you know, when you took those L's, you know, back in the big tournaments or when, you know, at home, you're starting to get into StarCraft, um, was going back and having a look at, you know, breaking down the different pieces of the puzzle to really see where I could have went better. Was that really something that you valued? It's something that is so important. And I think sometimes I did it. And I think there were times as I got to probably my, my I think, putting too much pressure on myself stages of my career. I mean, I remember there were times where I forced myself to do it but I probably wasn't mm. in the right mindset to, to necessarily get as much out of it. It would have been, I think, really good to look at it with someone else, you know, and, and get some other viewpoints. But I think it was also something where there were times where I probably didn't look at them at all. I remember, I remember le- realizing at one point, dude, I can't believe I'm not watching my big losses at tournament <laughs> just because it's too painful. Like, come yeah. on, like, we've got to do this man up. Come on. Like, like, let's, let's try and we've got to learn something like, what if I just repeat the exact same mistakes? Like, I feel like such an idiot. And, I mean, it's fascinating because there are competitors, especially if they don't have coaches who will just refuse to watch their losses or their bad performances because it's too emotionally traumatizing. You know, like, like even, I even hear about like MMA fighters nowadays and like, they'll be like, oh yeah, he never watched that like last fight he lost to that guy and they're having a rematch or something. <laughs> and you'll hear experts be like, no, like surely his coaches will force him to like watch it. Like you, you have to, you, you absolutely have to, you know? Uh, and, and it's important, man. It's, it's huge. I, I think there's, definitely something there like i um had the pleasure of having uh the world the world champ from 2018 and probably best player all of last all of 2019 as well Cyril, on on my podcast last year and oh, yeah. uh, we had a good conversation but i think he said i was like yeah i was asking him the exact same thing. i was like do you watch your losses and he was like mm, not for i think he said six weeks <laughs> he's like he can't watch a big loss in a tournament for six weeks he can't bring himself <laughs> to do it and i was like dude you've got to watch and he was like, mm, it's hard, you know, <laughs> I was like, so he does eventually, but it, it, it takes him a while. And I was like, that's the, the pain. It, it's, it's something you've got to feel though. Right. Cause otherwise all you're doing is burying it and you've got to, you've got to kind of feel that, 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 that pain. And I mean, when it comes to, to ladder anxiety, when it comes to losing in big tournaments, it's all one and the same. It's this big, um, mental game, right. Where anxiety is this just it's it's so common in people nowadays more than ever um it's it's huge it's everywhere we all we all know what it feels like right it's you just uh, your mind's racing your breathing gets shorter even if it's on a very low level anxiety you just you're just a bit more tense and stressed and you're worrying about things and you're worrying about what people are going to think about you or this or that this this it's just such a 
terrible thing anxiety sucks it's so crap like you know <laughs> i think we should all spend a bit more time learning how to deal with it well and i think ladder anxiety is really nice in that cool okay this is something that's bringing it out regularly you love playing starcraft but you have ladder anxiety how you how do you deal with it and there's so many answers you know people ask me regularly on my stream and i always link them a, a nice video my friend maynard made a fellow australian starcraft commentator because it i'm like it that, that video basically says it the way i believe it. it's like well it's anxiety, you know, it's the same as real anxiety in life. You know, you don't go to a psychologist. They're like, oh, no, it's like, just think about it. You know, it's not real. It'll go away. No, <laughs> no one says that. Like, it's it's complicated. Um, there's a few things you can do, right? Like, you can you can think about it and you can think about what are the real consequences. You know, like, what, what, what am I actually afraid of? And give yourself time to think about and process that. And that's kind of what watching a loss is for a big pro player as well. It's let yourself feel the emotions, understand what happened, accept the humbling feeling of it, accept the hit to your ego as much as your ego wants you to avoid it. And it's like, no, 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 don't do that. Nah. You know, ha have a bit of time to think about it. Do a bit of negative visualization. Think about what's the what's the worst case scenario here? What if I go in there and I'm winning and I feel great and I throw this game in the most spectacularly stupid way possible and I'm just calling myself an idiot and I feel so bad and the guy starts calling me names at the end of the game as well. It's telling me to get out. And I mean... And you think about it, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty sucky. I really don't want this game to go that way. But at the end of the day, mm. I'll still have a roof over my head and I'll be able to, you know, and like you, you can suddenly go, okay, I've given myself time to simulate that in my brain, visualize the failure and go, that's fine. That's, it's not the end of the world. And that's one thing that doesn't just magically make it disappear though, does it? Um, there, there's so many other things there. It's understanding um, what the goal is. Why are you playing the mm. game? What is the goal, right? Yeah. And and you realize at some point that you decide what the goal is. That's that's what that process is all about. We always call it moving the goalposts. So yeah. this is something you got to do constantly. It's what pro players automatically become good at. Um, anyone who becomes a pro has done that many times. They go, I'm just trying to get better at this, this, this. You know, and they work on one thing. They don't care too much about winning or losing as much as improving what they're doing. It's all about honing their skills. You know, it's working on their form and ignoring all the extraneous factors, right? So for a lot of people, it's like, oh, well, I'm I'm almost Platinum League. I want to get from Gold League to Platinum League. And they get so obsessed with it. And there's always people like, I'm one game. I'm one game away. I'm one game away. And I go like, yeah. what? as soon as someone says I'm one game away, I'm like, you're all I think. And I don't always say it because I don't want to be too obnoxious. But I'm like, you're just putting yourself in a fearful mindset. Because all you're doing by by obsessing over the end result is you're just kind of, you're, you're like, uh, you're not going to be in the present in that next game. That next game, all you're going to be thinking about is what you want the result of that game to be. There is no way to perform at your best in the present if you are thinking about what comes after the present. That is just, that's the opposite of where performance comes from. Performance is all about trying to be super focused in that one moment, trying to get into that flow state or whatever you want to call it, get in the zone. And you can't do that if you're obsessing about what comes after. So um the, the saying that actually hints at that which we've all heard and don't pay much mind to right is if you grasp something too tightly it always slips away that's exactly mm. what that is talking about it's this idea of if you obsess over this one thing it's always gonna it's always gonna slip out of your grasp what you actually need to focus on if you really want it is you need to play mind games with yourself right you need to learn how to manipulate your own mental state and go wait a second if I want that end result, the way to get there is to be in the present. The way to be in the present is to focus on the basic steps, putting one foot in front of the other and really focus on the minutia of what I need to do to get there, which means the minutia of how to play my strategy or how to do my build order. 
And mm. if I can focus really hard on putting one foot in front of the other and not re- and, and really find a way to go, okay, that's my long-term goal, but I don't think about it that much, getting to that platinum league, you will inevitably be putting one foot in front of the other and one day it'll just happen and you'll go, whoa, oh, oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah. Oh my God, what? And then you'll look back and realize you've crossed all this distance by putting one foot in front of the other. And you go, was I all the way over there in the distance? Wow, this happened almost effortlessly because it was just a little bit at a time over a long period. Whereas if you're obsessing over it, it feels like you can be on the cusp of it for years and it'll never happen. And it's because every time you get closer, the intensity builds, the anxiety builds, and you're pulling yourself Mm -hmm. more and more out of the present moment. You're putting more and more, um, what what do they say? It's like, um, you need to help the athlete get out of their own way or whatever, right? It's like, you need to help them. Uh, just get out of your own head, get out of your own way. Cause it's, it, you know, a lot of the time it's, it's your 99% of the way there. And then you're just throwing up these, these mental roadblocks that are kind of stretching mm. you out. Um, and I think ladder anxiety is such a lovely little example of all of those mental processes and pitfalls and traps that we fall into in this one thing. And it's so pervasive because it's such a competitive game and more, I'd say more than half of the population that plays Starcraft experiences some form of ladder anxiety. So it's, I think a really cool kind of thing for, for learning to understand your own mind a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. And, um, Numero actually had one thing that I really loved that he said, you know, it's uh, it's a human bias, you know, it's, it's loss aversion, you know, we've, we've earned something, um, whether it be our promotion, we've earned, you know, getting into low diamond or low masters, we've, we've just stepped into GM or whatever it may be, we've earned something and we don't want to lose games because, you know, we might make those minute mistakes. Um, and it's like, you're on a ship and you're going up and down, you know, you're having your highs, you're having your lows, but ultimately as the ship progresses, as we move forward, as we go straight, uh, you know, we're having that overall trajectory. We're increasing our distance. Uh, we're learning. We're striving further away from when we started. And I think that's what's key uh, in understanding StarCraft and, you know, any game and even life itself uh, is that there is ups and there is downs. But regardless of what happens, it's those small little downs and ups that create those experiences that we learn over time, which ultimately will help us to keep going forward. And, yeah, oh. we might have some. We might have some waves that are pushing us back. Uh, we might have some waves that are stopping us. We might have a breakdown in the ship that needs repairing. And that's common. You know, everyone has those kind of day-to-day basis where we take a step back and we can't do it anymore. We old F4, we get super salty. We really just don't want to queue into the next game because we've had loss after loss after loss. But then coming back the new day or the next day or whenever we jump on next or whenever goal we tackle next, um, it's about having that sort of new persistent mindset that, okay, you know, I'm going to set this small goal, whether that be just the whole game, the whole game, I don't care, all day, um, I don't want to get supply blocked. And just having that small goal and then gradually working on that and being able to say, okay, yeah, I didn't get supply blocked at all today. I'm going to do that continuously. And that's just those small little things that we start to gradually understand and gradually chip away at, um, which can ultimately enhance our performance in the long run. So I think it's definitely important to, you know, have those small sort of goals, but also understand that the negative mindset is sometimes inevitable and everyone goes through it. You know, we're not alone. Um, you know, obviously StarCraft, those games where it's you versus them, you know, I couldn't even imagine um, jumping up on stage like you did. You know, you're in your booth by yourself and, you know, you don't have teammates to left or right. You can give a high five or a handshake to. It's pretty much you and yourself, you and your mind. And um, it's one of those things that you just have to gradually chip away at, gradually expose yourself to um that ultimately leads to that success yeah it's it's so it's so powerful once you can kind of get a bit more in tune with that mindset right because it's 
you can you can you can understand some of this stuff you can even say some of it and you're still gonna have days where you get your ego runs yeah. away with you and you feel like crap and you're getting upset and you know th- there's all sorts of things that happen but once you once you have that bigger understanding it's it's easier to then kind of rectify and go okay let's take a deep breath and go what what am i getting so upset about you know wait a second like am i oh you know sometimes I've, oh my ladder my ladder ranks a bit lower than it, it was last week and i'm i'm looking at it a lot and i, I kind of realize and i catch myself why am i feeling so so bad today and i go I keep looking at that rank and seeing that as a reflection of my self-worth or something like I like, like that's, and I'm like, I'm, I'm learning a new strategy. Of course, I'm going to play it worse than the strategy I've played a thousand times that I was playing last week. Like that's, I know mm. this is going to happen. I go, oh yeah, of course. I'm just being silly, aren't I? That's just my ego getting in the way. Go, okay. Yeah. I mean, I should, I should, I, and then, and then, you know, whenever I'm in that good mindset, it's like, I can just lose games effortlessly with a smile on my face and have a good time. Cause I'm like, Oh, you know, like I'm, I, I'm in that that mindset where I can just I can take him on the chin. It doesn't matter. I, I feel good because I know what I'm focused on. I go, oh man, that was a really big mistake. Oof, good, good. But it's all a learning opportunity, and it's all just a, another step on the road rather than feeling like everything is just so blown out of proportion. And that's always what happens when, for me personally, if I lose that emotional grounding, that that calmness, you know, where where if I start to get really upset and my emotions run away with me, it's like you know, a single loss can feel like the end of the world. It can feel, you know, a single thing going wrong. Just It's so blown out of proportion. And when you remember to just take a deep breath and kind of look at it and think about it and you go, oh, I really am getting carried away with myself. I am being a bit silly. And it's uh, it's a nice relief when you, I think, have gone through that process enough times so that just through practice, your your muscle, your mental muscle builds and you get better and better at pulling yourself back from irrationality and and you know rage and you know, yeah hopefully not calling your opponent names but i think a lot of players start with that <laughs> and hopefully they can pull themselves back to maybe a, the occasional muttered swear word at their monitor and then maybe one day they won't even have that and they'll be just like you mentioned neuro well played good sir no matter how bad he loses well played you know he's he's always yeah. always there and sometimes he's dealing with some real fierce emotions i know he is he admits to it but he always just like, he kind of controls it, forces his way through it. And he always comes out the other side with a smile because he's so mentally practiced at pushing himself through that. Yeah. It's just being able to have that concurrent exposure to be able to have that regulation. Cause um, you know, at the end of the day, it is how well we can control our emotions and whether it comes down to more of a problem solving or whether it's more of an emotional, because ultimately we're so invested. And I think that investment is what costs us that mental fortitude sometimes. And, you know, being able to be concurrently aware that we have these kind of ups and downs is what can ultimately uh, enhance our performance and come out with a positive outlook at the end of the day. Um, There was one really interesting study that was done actually, um, and it was called Stressful Gaming, Interoceptive Awareness and Emotional Regulation Tendencies. And uh, essentially they looked at StarCraft because they believe StarCraft was one of the most stressful games that was concurrent at the time. Um, And the goal was to determine whether the interceptive awareness of the in-game you know, whether what we do, whether we make this or, you know, whether we try and attack here um, negatively affects our mindset. You know, if we do something wrong, for example, you know, if we uh, mm. pushed into a pushed into a corner or push or, you know, um, didn't scout properly or, you know, whatever it may be, how will that ultimately affects our negative mindset? And um, what they found was, was that it was more problem focused than emotion focused. And that emotion did play a role, but it was one of those things that ultimately uh, you can't really control in regards to those specific scenarios when it comes down to more of a problem. 
because we understand that there is so many different problems, you know, whether we could have done something better, whether we could have scouted it a couple of seconds earlier, whether we could have sent a Marine to, you know, just have a scout around. Um, ultimately, you know, being out of control, that arousal level comes down to, you know, understanding there is multiple problems and not to get too hang up on the emotional tendency uh, to be invested in the game. And, um, you know, win-lose states, you know, are clearly linked um, to, you know, how we go into the next game. If we win the game, we have that really good positive outset, that mindset that, hey, you know, we won that one. That was really good. I played well. I did what I had to do. I kept my supply up. I didn't get blocked. I, you know, scouted here, whatever I did right. Uh, and then we go into the next game. We have that kind of concurrent positive mindset. However, if we lose, that kind of negative mindset continues and pertains and persists. Um, and it's really interesting to see that because I think it happens in a lot of games as well these days. Um, it's just the fact that StarCraft games are a little bit shorter. So that negative mindset starts to pretend more often. And, you know, it can really start to, I guess, uh, be troublesome in some scenarios. Yeah, the uh, the classic rage cue, right? It's, it's oh, <laughs> oh, I'm so angry. Quick, find match, find match. And it's... Uh, cannon rush. Oh my God, it's such, a, it's such a bad habit as well. I had someone come into my channel the other day and he was like, oh yeah, just lost 28 games in a row. And I was like, 28? I was like... Dude, by, by the time you've lost 10, you're like playing people so much lower than you normally do. Like, even if you're a little bit upset, normally you start winning at that point. Like, 28, I was like, oh my God. I was like, dude, you must have been on an emotional roller coaster. Like, congratulations on not breaking uh, your keyboard or anything. Cause, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard one. And we've all, we've all been there where we've got, ah, oh, that, that was upsetting. I'm going to play one more game because I want that little, you know, whether it's you want that little dopamine hit, you want to uh, obliterate the, the right. last game from your mind, whatever the hell it is, you, you want, you want to get rid of it. You want to move on to the next one. But the moment you, you hit Q game out of anger in a, in a multiplayer game, especially you're going to have a really bad time because it's a dynamic opponents who want to win and are going to be probably a lot more focused than you. But, uh, Man, I think uh, that's. <laughs> I've been playing more team games in recent years, like every now and then for fun. And yeah, there's a lot of people who are who are definitely having a bad time uh, with their emotions on on voice chats. Uh, some days I've just got to turn it off. I'm like, some days it's it's entertaining, or I'll try and help them through it. Other days it's like, oh, I can't handle this in my life right now. Like, you know, everybody on my team, it's all your fault. Why? Why? You know, like in this. You get to see like the people who, who have clearly gone into that map and they're already on a streak. You're like, I know that person's already rage going. It's probably their fifth loss in a row. And each game they're playing worse and kind of bringing the whole team down. But it's um, it's funny coming from a one versus one environment to see that played out in what is very casual levels that I play other games at because I'm hopping on for a screw around on Valorant in, in, in the bottom of gold league. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, there's not very high level players, but the, uh, the amount of aggression that can come out of the occasional player when they're, you can tell they're in the middle of that, <laughs> that journey, not just that yeah. one game, but many games. And you're like, Ooh, that's a, yeah, that's the place you just got to walk away from the computer. You've, you've got to go and you know, have a stretch go outside get a bit of fresh air and it's like it just you know disappears if you can manage to do that but uh a lot of us have a big problem just walking away from the computer i think when we lose yeah and i think one of those things that comes with it is when we make those obvious mistakes like uh you know we should have hit that shot oh that was the most easiest you know wall up or you know why did i let something why did i let a ling through you know or you know why didn't i hit that headshot it was the most easiest i was holding the best angle for that and I think it's when we make those super obvious mistakes, it starts to have that trickle down effect. And mm -hmm. uh, by having that 
first initial like mistake that just tends tends to you know unravel and starts to let that rope go and this mistake happens that mistake happens and that mistake happens and it's just it starts to become unending and you know it's like okay maybe i should take a break now yeah that's it i mean it's the the ego gets hit really hard with those ones like you said the the obvious ones where you get yeah. really harsh to yourself that's where i think in the last you know year or so trying to do a bit more just kind of you know watching videos on the whole kind of self-compassion um kind of movement within psychology and things where it's like just just really tapping into that self-talk and realizing how ridiculous it can be at times where you're like you know you're you're basically like you you freaking idiot you're so stupid and like you know learning i'm like learning to realize that voice to myself i'm like yeah that's 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 something you know when everyone's on that 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 cycle i can tell they're in that sort of mindset and you know i definitely go there sometimes as well and you realize like it's just it's so over the top the self-criticism especially if you have a perfectionist sort of attitude but um as you said it's there's many problems not just one and that's always the the trick to realizing it is you know a lot mm. of people when they're in a bad mindset as well they will hone in on a mistake and be like oh just this one this one thing how am i so stupid and often by that point they've already lost their cool enough to not realize that the the setting is like the situation they're in it's very easy to make basic mistakes because if they actually look at the, the problem as a whole there's so many things that have gone wrong to put them in a bad situation starcraft it might be you don't actually have your overlords in the normal position you don't have the normal map vision uh, this right. isn't quite there you're already on the back foot so you're behind on your, your macro cycles and you're having to put more attention into monitoring and adjusting other aspects of your play so of course you didn't notice this one thing but in that you know high intensity your adrenaline's going, your blood's pumping, you're already a little bit upset. It's You're just looking at one thing in isolation and you're going, you yeah. idiot, I never make that mistake. How could I make that mistake? What the hell? And it's like, you know, you, you, you lose touch with reality very quickly when you get to that mindset. For sure. And I think what's also important to consider as well is the other person's probably making the same mistakes as well. So, you know, you shouldn't have yourself so self-accountable on, you know, just having the smallest mistake because um, at the end of the day, you know, it is that kind of one-on-one -on -one game scenario that, you know, can, you know, you know, the smallest at the start, the, the smallest one second difference may not ultimately impact how the game plays out half an hour later. So, you know, getting rivaled up over the smallest things can ultimately um, not be as impactful, you know, later on, you know, obviously when we get to the pro leagues, you know, looking at sales games, looking at life's games, partner G, any of those big guys, um, those small little detriments do matter. But, um, you know, once you start to play, you know, casually start to step into that competitive mindset, um, I think that mindset of having everything needs to be perfect, everything needs to really go to plan um, and being really so stuck on that and set in stone, that's where you can start to have that kind of, you know, upset. Yeah, I mean, we're, that's where the best comebacks come from. In any any sport, any activity, it is the mistakes that happen. It is always the mistakes. And the thing is, those details, do they matter more at that po that top level? Yeah, you can still make them. You can make tons of mistakes at the highest levels. You know, the number of times I have someone who goes, oh man, Cannon Rush is unfair because if you just make one mistake, you're dead. And I go, <laughs> what? I go, I beat Parting's Cannon Rush the other day. He's over, he's like literally one of the best players in the world. He's so much better than me. And I made mistakes and I still held it. And I go, that, that, come on. Like there is, there is so much room for error in anything yeah. that's got a lot of complication, anything that's that deep where, yeah, the, the, you know, you want to be detail oriented. You want to, you want to kind of, and that, I guess that's like the dichotomy people struggle with. They, they want to focus on the details, but they just, they just place too much importance on them. And 
all the greatest comebacks, all the, and I've made some sick comebacks in my competitive career as well, uh, mostly in the national, the national scene, but like, it's always been me just gritting my teeth and going with the flow. And there are some just ridiculous games I should not have come back from, but it was always when I was in a good mindset. It was if I managed to be relaxed, I managed to kind of smile through the mistakes and go, Ooh, okay. Like, I guess I'm going to have to play some really good stuff from here and, and adapt because I've put myself in a terrible situation, but it's like, you know, it's, it's so easy to look at that and go, ah, I put myself in a terrible situation. You idiot, you idiot. Or to go, well, cool. I'm not even going to, you know, it's, it, I'm there. Let's just kind of look for solutions. And a game like mm. Starcraft is actually so rewarding if you do that, if you can kind of flow with it, because at a learning stage, as well as at a pro stage, there's a lot of mistakes. And um, in certain game types, especially if you're a player who forces the game to be a bit scrappy, the ability to kind of stay cool and just roll with the punches and adapt to the many, many issues going on on both sides and still just try to get a sense for it, it rewards you a lot. There's chaotic players like Bly, um, you know, is, is a guy who says he's like, you know, I, I, he's known as a cheesy player because he likes to surprise people with sneaky strategies. But I was, I was talking to him, um, on my podcast as well. And he was kind of just going like, he's like, dude, I just, I just, I play for fun. You know, he's like, yeah, obviously I, I make my living through this, but I don't want to just focus on being half a fraction of a second faster doing the exact same thing as the other guy, you know, uh-huh. like the, the exact same thing that everyone else does in this situation. Like, He's like, I like it to be a chess game. He's like, I love chess and I love I love games with, you know, different situations. And I like to force my opponent into that area. And it's his ability where I see him make some of the craziest comebacks ever. And it's because even yeah. when he's behind, it's like he's just got this real calm kind of like, let's find a solution attitude. He's got this smile on his face while he's playing. And he's just, because for him, there's just a joy in kind of leverage right for him it's all about how can i use advantage versus disadvantage how can i turn this disadvantage to my advantage by you know i'm going to basically just try and figure out what they're doing i'm going to cut a corner here you'll gamble on some things and then play really solid on other things and he makes these amazing comebacks all the time and for me it's a real treat to watch because he just clearly is so calm and and doesn't his performance never drops after making mistakes and he makes a lot of mistakes all the time because of the style he plays it's hard not to but he he just kind of keeps on just rock solid always looking for a solution and uh, i think that's something that a lot of the other players who are considered better pro gamers than him because they are much more detail oriented with their execution i think they could learn a lot from from his mindset yeah and i'm i'm sure that you've been in the same situation as well you know i know i've been when um when I really have, you know, going to a game, I pre queue into game, oh, I'm going to do this build. I'm going to really focus on this. I want to execute this. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, like five seconds later, he's knocking at my front door with a ling. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Or, you know, all of a sudden I see that little probe. I see that pylon go up. I'm like, oh, you better not be. Are you kidding me? And it's that kind of dynamic ability to suddenly, you know, adjust. Okay, that wasn't going to plan. How can I do something? And I see, you know, as you said, that's where some of the greatest comebacks happen just because it, tests our ability to react it tests that psychological pressure that mental fortitude Mm, okay he's going in with this game mode i've got to really adapt now i've really got to overcome what he's thinking and i've really got to not crack and um i really have to upkeep that mechanical pressure you know okay i was going to do this now this is what i'm going to go and do and you know start to really change and being going to have that dynamic change that i don't think you see in a lot of games you know for example in league of legends or csgo or valorant even 
pretty much the game structure is pretty solidified. You know, we take the other base or, you know, we take, uh, you know, we want to destroy the Nexus in League or, uh, you know, we want to destroy, you know, we want to kill the other team in, uh, in CSGO or Valorant. Uh, but in StarCraft, the objective is there, but there's so many different ways to the objective that it becomes so much more of a, uh, you know, a big book of, you know, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I think that's where being able to d- dynamically adjust to the situation, uh, you know, the best players can come from that. Heck yeah, man. It's it's so big if you can just get in that right right zone, that right focus. And you know, it's it's something which is interesting as well, because it just makes me think this discussion about like how do you how do you train yourself to welcome hardship? And I think that's part of it, right? Like it's like to smile in the face of difficulty and go, heck yeah, like this is awesome, you know? Because <laughs> that's that's where grit comes from, that's where comebacks come from. It's it's to smile as things get harder and go, all right, you know, it's, it's like, and it's almost delusion for me, at least the way I do it when, when I am in that right mindset is I'm almost like, well, there's even more to win now. Like this will look twice as awesome if I win this game, you know, I'll feel twice as good if I come back from here. Um, and I, I very, you know, I can easily occupy the other side. There are days when I have zero grit. I have, I have zero ability to push through that. But it's, it's mm. interesting. I'm sure it's different for every individual person. But for me, I guess it's like, it's just cultivating that glass half full mindset where I'm like, no, no, like I'm just always going to see the upside, even in yeah. the kind of questionable situations where it's like, man, I've, I put myself in a terrible situation. But yeah, it, it feels so good when you are able to roll with those punches, even when it doesn't result in a good outcome, you still end up losing a game or something. Like just, mm. I'm, I'm always these days very aware of the fact that that's like a rare thing. If I captivate that ability to just be completely unfazed by hardship, <laughs> competition, or bad situations that go on, and to go, oh, this is awesome. Let's just keep pushing through and, and find a solution. Um, I, I don't really know what the secret is there, but I think that's something that if someone's a competitor out there, or they're looking to you know really work on their mentality. That to me seems like when i'm at when i'm at my best when i'm feeling really happy with myself i'm like that's probably one of the things i, I think I, I try to focus on a bit more and i definitely am a little more successful at doing yeah and i guess that you know that experience comes with time as well you know the beginner won't be able to go in and have that automatic dynamic you know mindset whereas you know compared to yourself or you know another pro or you know someone in early gm or mid gm or you know, even high masters, they already have that kind of foundation that, you know, every game is going to be different. Every game is going to have a different foundation. Every game is going to have a different structure. I'm going to have to, you know, dynamically adapt and uh, overcome, you know, the unknown because at the end of the day, that's what it is. You know, we're going up against an opponent who we can't see what they're doing uh, unless we obviously scout. But, you know, at the start of the game, it's, you know, it's an, it's an even slate. Uh, we don't know what they're doing. We're going, we're fighting against the unknown. And I think that's what, uh, you know, used to scare me, especially because, you know, I queue in, and I'm like, okay, what are they doing? And, you know, I start to really have that kind of second guess myself, you know, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? You know, should I quickly go scout or, you know, spend these resources doing that or, you know, just having that constant battle with yourself if you're doing the right thing. And I think that's where the mental fortitude gradually starts to build because then you start to be able to rely on yourself and you're able to think, yes, I am doing the right thing. I can do this. I can, I can, you know, move out at this time. I can attack at this time. I can, you know, hold that pressure. And I have that ability to understand that, yes, you might attack now. Can I hold it off? Let's just see if he attacks. And then he doesn't attack. And it's like, okay, I got through that. Let's go through the next minute. Let's go through the process. Let's start to dig deep. And um, I think that's, yeah, where that experience comes and where that knowledge starts to really solidify. Definitely, man. 
Um, so obviously wrapping, going into pushing in quite a lengthy episode now. Um, so I think what we'll do is we'll start to slowly wrap up just with a little bit about your shoutcasting, um, just because it's an area that I'm really interested in as well. And I love the shoutcasting scene just because it brings so much enthusiasm to the game. Because without shoutcasting, if we were just watching the players, I think it wouldn't have that awesome analytical perspective. Um, so what really made you transfer from being a being a player uh, and then into the shoutcasting kind of analytical coaching zone as well? I think it was really easy for me just because I learned StarCraft from listening to commentary. You know, uh, dreaming got big back in the early days. Twitch wasn't around. It wasn't even Justin TV yet. But in the early days of StarCraft 2, we had to download the GOM TV player um, or, you know, <laughs> you went on YouTube and if you didn't pay to subscribe on like GOM, you'd be watching in 360p or something. It's it's hilarious when I think back. You'd be like, you'd really be squinting to try and figure out what the units on the screen were because it's all just pixels. Um, it was it was kind of terrible, but it was amazing to have the ability to watch games. I'd always, like I said, I grew up playing RTS games and I played at internet cafes and I, I liked playing with my friends, but to suddenly just have this thing where it's like, oh, I can just like turn on this stream on my computer and watch the best players in the world over in Korea in this studio with this amazing production playing. And on top mm. of that, what really made it stick and made me love it was I've got, you know, Artosis was one of the first big guys I was listening to all the time. Yeah. He's explaining these details of the game and he's talking about how if you want to get better, you got to have that notepad sitting next to your computer and you'd be writing these builds down as you watch this and trying to learn these things. And, you know, he'd always bring that analytical angle and listening to a little bit of day nine and some of these other guys who would break the game mm. down. For me, that's what explained StarCraft to me. And it unwrapped so many layers of depth where I'd watched a little bit of like Brood War and thought it was incredible. Um, but I'd never really understood what was going on on a deep level or anything. I'd never watched much esports at all. And whenever I'd watch pro replays in Warcraft, I'd be like, cool, they're doing some interesting stuff. But I didn't really understand what they were doing. I was like, oh, they're doing this thing. That thing's dumb because I had such a limited understanding. I didn't have someone there to explain to me why what I was doing was so bloody basic and, and terrible and my understanding was wrong. So for me, it was mm. like, hey, man, just just if I can translate that game to a new wave of people coming in, then that would be, you know, super duper cool. And I just like talking about the game. It's it's something I'm passionate about. It's really easy for me to talk to talk about. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are kind of like, oh, you know, how hard is it to do commentary? And I'm like, well, you know, I don't do commentary. I don't, I'm not a common a professional commentator. I am a professional StarCraft commentator. So there's a big mm. difference because that's something I, I come from a, a background in it. I have a deep history in it. I competed in it. You know, I've been doing it for 11 years now. I, I couldn't just go and do that for another game. I think, don't get me wrong, I have a lot of broadcast experience. I've learned how to project my voice and how to say things certain ways. And I, I can do a little bit of hosting and stuff, even though I have very limited experience with it. I, you know, mm. I've, I've, I've done little little segments and different different shows and things. And I've dealt with terrible production issues, which gives me very good skills for dealing with terrible, <laughs> terrible production issues. You put me on a live show. Uh, a lot of TV people who are used to proper production, they fall apart if things go wrong. <laughs> oh, if you've been doing esports production for a long time, like, oh my God, you are just used to everything being a mess. It's like, you know, three different languages in your ear at once while you're speaking. Don't worry about it. You know, easy. Um, we're, we're, we're used to that. So don't get me wrong. There's experience there in terms of dealing with dynamic broadcasting environments, but I wouldn't be able to just go and, and become like, um, I guess the, the, the play-by-play -play commentator or the host 
without putting in a very focused effort to do that for another game. So if I was like really enjoying another game and I started studying it more and watching the pro players streams and VODs and really getting into it, I, I could very effortlessly go and cast another game, right? But to become like in StarCraft, we have like Kalaris is a good friend of mine who's mm. awesome. But the amount of work he puts in for each broadcast far outweighs what I have to do because I'm coming as an expert. I don't really even need to know the flow of show in terms of like when the cameras are doing what. I just stand there and right. talk about the show when the camera's on me, you know, and the guest host has to actually manage all this and know when graphics are popping up and at what time and introduce mm -hmm. things. And the stage host, you know, when we have Smix up there, she's got to mm. have all these these questions down. She knows all the trivia about the players. She's, she's watching the game. She's she's making sure she's got it all planned out. She's got to intro the players a certain way. As as an expert in a game, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I get to just rock up and and um and talk about it because all the work has been done in the last 10 years of my life playing the game and being involved in the game and that sort of thing. So it's like, it's kind of effortless actually going to the event. Um, on the other hand, I would say like at the same time, that doesn't mean we should do it for free. Don't get me wrong. It's still 10 years yeah. of, of expertise and knowledge that should be <laughs> rewarded. But the actual, the actual step from one to the other is much easier if you're an expert color commentator rather than like a desk host or an analysis uh, an analyst or a stage host those are all jobs i have immense respect for because i've worked alongside great people who do it and they just they got so many notes and they're mapping everything out and they've got set phrases and all sorts of things so they can do that really lovely polished production quality and really like make a live segment go very smoothly yeah and do you ever have any interest in potentially going in or stepping into those roles and positions in the future Maybe I sometimes daydream about it, but I realize it would take a big amount of focus and work. So it would be right. it would be a huge pivot. It would be something where I know I'd need to commit more time and energy to it. I'd need to make it more of a, a full focus. I like to mm. really hone in on one thing. Um, I used to always split my attention way too much between different areas, and you know I'm a big fan of whole ass one thing, don't half ass a whole bunch of little things. So if I was going to do that, I I would go into it with the Starcraft mentality. I know I'm not going to be that great at first and I need to kind of lose a bit and learn as I go. And I'm going to do everything I can to not lose because obviously you don't want to be screwing up a live broadcast, but it's inevitable um, with live live television. Like you you make mistakes, things happen. Um, you're not sure how to handle unexpected circumstances, whatever. So I would I would kind of want to be going into it, wanting to get as many repetitions as possible and being able to like, you know, quickly rectify mistakes and just really like hone that craft because yeah. i think it's a big part of the show and i wouldn't want to do a half-assed job yeah for sure immense respect um it's really interesting to see because there's just so many different outlets and you know sitting in it like for example sitting on the youtube you know sitting back watching youtube if it's a youtube stream or on twitch um we only really see what's going on but in post-production and you know in outside and actually in the studio there's so many different things that go into just making a show successful um and i think that you know a lot of people maybe just take it for granted but at the end of the day there's so many different roles and jobs and everything has to really commence and connect together and uh I think it's definitely an amazing thing. And um, yeah, I have uh, immense respect for you for taking on those roles as well. It's, um, I mean, it's a pleasure to do it, right? It's it's one of those things, very lucky to be where I am. And I think it's just, um, yeah, it's it's so cool still to, to think about it. I remember in 2012, um, getting to meet Artosis for, oh, I'd, I'd already uh, met him a few times, but I got to go over to his house and I was chatting to him. And he was asking me, you know, about my career and stuff. And I was saying to him, and I remember saying, 
oh, one day I'd, I'd like to do, you know, what you do. I'd love to have your job one day. And he was like, really? Oh, you're already thinking that far ahead. And I was like, yeah. I was like, look, look, you know, if, if we're, I'd love to just be the best pro player in the world, that'd be even better. No offense. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'd love to talk about the game. So every now and then, I, and that was such a distant, vague possibility that was almost like a dream. So the fact that I do get to now, for years I've been commentating and, you know, at the big events I get to commentate side by side with him and crack jokes with him and the other guys on the desk. And it's uh, it's a dream come true. So just trying to stay stay grateful for it because it, it really is so cool that we have so much esports in 2020. Um, we go back 10 years, nobody knew it would explode so quickly and that it would be so awesome. Um, it's it's really awesome that we've got the technology, we've got the streaming, and the fact that we've got so many passionate people behind the scenes who really prop up the scene of any competitive game. You know, it's not just a couple people on camera; it's a ton of people behind the scenes as well. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I definitely respect the industry, and you know, you know, previously I had uh, Matsy. So Matsy Nyo's uh, does like the FPS shoutcasting. He did the Rise of Valor tournament, um, and done some other stuff here in Melbourne. And um, just chatting with him, and you know, getting his kind of insight into the shoutcasting and you know broadcasting scene. And um, it's definitely you know I can see the passion, and I can see the amount of work that goes into it. And um, you know, as you speak about it, just in, in this small little tiny bit about shoutcasting, um, even that StarCraft passion and that love for the game and everything just really shines through and um you know if anything to take away it's just that you know that really big passion can really drive it and really um fulfill what you want to do so um you know for those guys listening who might be you know just getting out of bronze who might be thinking about trying starcraft who might be you know early level entry grandmaster what are some what's the one big key tip that you would give to these guys or you know any of these guys looking to um you know get better at the game I think honestly, the one thing, because if it, I mean, if they're if they're brand new, it's just play and enjoy it and stuff, and and don't feel forced to like. If you're new, to try and do what you think people should tell you to do, you know, like like there's so much freedom. Just learn a couple, you know, pick up a fundamental here or there. Ask a question as you go and and figure things out and slowly add them to your play. But there's a lot of freedom if as long as you're focused and you're enjoying your strategy, you will always get better at StarCraft. When you're when you're new to the game right through those early leagues it's like just just get used to the basics and use the units you want choose the race you want but the big thing past that point whether you're a semi-pro or a mid-tier player who's trying to get to the next level it's it's don't don't put yourself in a bubble uh so easy these days to just log on and just click find match and if you don't happen to you know live in a, a you know community with a lot of people in that game you just you just play in your own little bubble and that's what the game is it's just you queuing ranked ladder uh, go party up with people. When someone beats you, send them a message, compliment them and, and ask them for some custom games. Um, get on a forum, get on a Twitch chat and, and don't be afraid to sound stupid. I always tell people, I if, if you went back and found all my forum accounts from the years, there would be so many stupid comments and questions about StarCraft that I have made. But th- there's there's two kinds of people. Look, there's, there's, every, there's stupid people and then there's also there's stupid people who say stupid. So there's there's people who are like, hey, I'm I'm stupid, but I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to ask a stupid question. That's it. And then there's people who are too afraid to ask stupid questions, and they just they just never learn, you know, because they mm-hmm. they don't want to put themselves out there. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to look I don't want to look dumb or anything like that. In a game as vast as StarCraft, you're always going to totally have your your views cr- just turned upside down constantly it always happens where there's this revelation there's so many light bulb eureka moments so get out there talk on the forums talking in twitch chat 
debate with people, um, you know, be like, no, I think this is better and explain why. Don't ever just bow to authority. Um, too many mm-hmm. people do that. Oh, you're higher rank than me. Therefore, you must be right. I must do exactly what you right. think. Not at all. Oh, competitive gaming, unless it's turn-based, it's all about mechanics. There's all about, oh, that he might be faster at clicking than you. That player might be better at just, you know, hitting their hotkeys, spamming their keyboard because they got more experience. doesn't mean they know more about the game than you. I regularly have great insight from players who are in Gold League and in my Twitch chat. I get just as many dumb comments from them. Don't get me wrong, but at least they're learning because they're, they're putting out a point. And then I say, well, actually, I think that's wrong. And sometimes it makes me think about things a different way as well. So I just think it's uh, don't improve and avoid. Get out there, communicate with your community, um, share ideas and and kind of tap into that huge shared knowledge pool. And you could apply this to any any competitive activity, but it's especially important for StarCraft. Yeah, there you go. There you have it. A really good, nice, awesome way to kind of wrap up the episode, especially, you know, after having that really big, heavy, uh, you know, psychological understanding, well-being, anxiety talk, um, you know, just at the end, just really just go and have a go. And that's what makes the most amount of sense, you know, just exposing yourself and uh, and enjoying yourself because ultimately at the end of the day, it really only is a game. Um, and games are meant to be played for fun. Um, you know, obviously we have the competitive level where we start to, you know, really get into it, but um at the end of the day, it really is a game and, uh, you know, the passion for the game is there and uh, that will make the most sense. Um, so for everyone listening, uh, where can we find you on all your socials just to, you know, keep up to date with your content and, you know, engage with you as well? Well, if you Google Pig Starcraft and whatever social you want, that will come up usually. Uh, it's PigSC2 on Insta and Facebook, I believe, or just Pig PigSC on Insta, PigSC2 on Facebook uh the main one is twitch that's where i'm there every single well not every day most days in the morning time australia time so i usually go up to about midday each day mostly hitting that american time zone so x5 mm-hmm. pig on twitter and twitch are the two main ones but uh yeah always uh always good to see new people tuning in and stuff especially at the moment more aussies working from home so more Aussies yeah. in the chat for once. They're not getting uh, blocked by their firewall. So it's kind of cool to have the time zones not be as brutal. But uh, yeah, drop by, say hey, and always, always happy to answer any questions on Twitter or in my Twitch chat. Fantastic. Well, you know, ultimately, I really appreciate you jumping on. You know, we've just pushed into the one hour 44 mark and, um, you know, Kind of at the end, I really only feel like we just touched on some of the some of the major things. We could have talked about so much more. That just shows how much depth there is to StarCraft and gaming in general. Um, so ultimately, I really do appreciate you jumping on and sharing some of those fantastic uh, previous experiences you've had, whether it be international scene, whether it be within OCE, uh, casual StarCraft, competitive StarCraft, and broadcasting as well, and really highlighting those key uh, understanding of you know dealing with anxiety overcoming stress and being able to pers- persist and pertain throughout those hardest uh levels and courses so uh i really appreciate you coming on coming on jared and um you know really having this awesome chat with me appreciate you having me mate this was a pleasure fantastic uh thank you everyone who uh made it to this time uh it's been a long one so uh, i really hope you have taken away some awesome uh variables and some awesome insights from jared pig resnell Thank you very much. And this is your host, Lachlan, and I will see you in the next one.